begin transmission. Hello, everybody. It's Chris, a.k.a. Star Raptor, joined by my guest of the night, Joel Davis, for episode number 73 of Outer Rim Transmission. This week on the show, we're talking about the updates on Andor. Some promotional stuff is out. We're talking about an update with Ron Johnson, as well as the recent books that came out this summer, including Brotherhood, including Shadow of the Sith, and including the novel of Han and Leia, which is The Princess and the Scoundrel. But first, Joel, tell us everything you do with um, Ion Cannon, with everything with the Star Wars Underworld Podcasting Network, um, and just introduce everybody, because they might have seen your name in the chat from time to time on our live videos here on the channel. But just give us an idea of what you do and how you're involved with the fandom, man, because uh, you've been really prevalent in the last couple of years that I've known you with uh, really spearheading a lot of this canon talk and everything else, which was why I brought you on this week. Yes, I love talking about canon. Uh, I have lots of cannons. A big can, small cannon. Um, no, no, no. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Joel. Nice to meet you all in the, in the YouTube world. Um, yes, I, I am half of the Ion Cannon podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that, uh, buddy Matthew and myself have been doing for a while. Um, I've done it for a year. Now it hasn't been a year. But it's getting closer to it. Um, but, and basically what we do is we love to look at, um, almost everything Star Wars, books, movies, TV shows. Uh, we mostly focus on the books and comics and kind of see how it all kind of mixes and mingles together in a way. Like, the canon, like, how does a book affect the story moving forward, both out of universe and in universe, from both timeline perspective and also just kind of like going backward retroactively. Retroactive canon is always fun. Um, and then we're part of the Star Wars Underworld podcast network, uh, along with, you know, you know, the Ray side and some of the other shows. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been on Underworld. I've, you know, commented on and super chat on Underworld before, even before we were part of the network. And, you know, we just have an all-around good time, as Dominic would say. And, um, you know, we just, I just love talking about Star Wars. So, you know, it's like, put those talents to use. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I've been doing and having a great time doing it. Yeah, it was great. I, I met you for the first time over there in your neck of the woods, which is Anaheim, California, um, Orange mm -hmm. County. California, and we met in the in the hotel lobby of the good old Marriott, which I feel like there are so memories, so many memories in, in the Marriott and all those places around uh, celebration. Um, so it, it was great to meet you there and 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 yeah. um, be involved with the fandom face to face with a lot of these cool people, you know. Well, totally. But um, I had I had such a great time. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say I had such a great time and. Um, just, you know, being there, seeing everyone in person, it was, it was such a great experience. Oh, yeah, I cannot wait for what's what's going to happen in London. I feel like there's a lot of big reveals that could be happening um, there they're saving. I mean, we got D23, though, coming up literally next week, so I would imagine that there's going to be some bombs, some bombs dropped off there because uh, I was, you know, grabbing my research uh, for the show as I normally do for the news stories and I'm looking at StarWars.com and like these articles haven't really been updated since like mid-August some of these bigger stories so it's like ah, it's obvious that they're they're holding their cards close to their chest we know we're getting a um, Disney Plus Day which will have that Obi-Wan Kenobi behind the scenes reels uh, documentary we're going to get the Friday which is going to be the gaming panel they have said the Lucasfilm Games is going to be there so I'm a, I'm 
very much thinking that Jedi Survivor will be shown there because there's not any major gaming uh, conventions and there's no EA Play uh, presentation this year, so that would be their place to do it. Um, and of course, Saturday I think is the big day for for the Disney Plus shows and the and the movies and all. So um, yeah, that that's going to be a big glass salvo for the the summer with the Star Wars presentations and whatnot. So I'm excited for that. Me too. I think D23 is going to have some good reveals, so I'm looking forward to it. Heck yeah. So, with Star Wars, what have you been doing lately? We have our segment, Our Week in Star Wars, where we just talk about anything Star Wars that might have, you know, been in the forefront of our minds. I know me and you are always reading something um, or watching something. So, what is it that you can tell the audience uh, that you've been up to with Star Wars this week, man? Oh, well, I'm pretty much done with everything. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Andor this week. Um, that's going to be fun. Not this week, but next month. No, yeah, this month. I, I'm not quite sure. So, so that is <laughs> November. Uh, uh, hang on just a second. Sorry, but I was making noise. Uh, no problem. But, um, but let's see. I'm looking forward to Andor this month. I've been, you know, um, you know, reading a lot of books. I'm trying to get through Princess and Scandal. I'm on chapter 23 for the slow burn. But yeah, I've been enjoying what I've been reading. Yeah. Um, this Andor head focus. That's stuff I've been like really, really excited for. Uh, quite frankly, it, it's the most, it's the most, it's the most hype thing I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, and that's about in terms like what this week of Star Wars has been. Uh, I watched Kenobi again on <laughs> Hannah Rayside's uh, uh, YouTube channel because she did a rewatch. Of that, oh. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was cool. And that was about it. That was about my week of Star Wars. Just a lot of watching stuff and getting hyped. Yeah, no, I uh, I gotta go back and rewatch Obi Wan. I think that'll be really cool to have. Like, if I have an afternoon where I have like four or five hours, I think it'd be a pretty cool experiment to just sit there and watch them all in basically one or two sittings. You know, get up, get lunch at some point or something, and then come back and and watch another couple episodes in quick succession um, to see how that would how that would flow for me. Because um, yeah, I was lukewarm on the series. I liked a lot of things in the beginning and at the end, but some of the things in the middle, I've always been saying it's just. Uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed, and um, I, I have a strong feeling that D23, they might announce the Season 2. I, I I don't know. I have a feeling that in Book of Boba Fett, I feel like they're going to just be like, boom, boom, Season 2 coming. Hi. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. But yeah, I was just giving Kenobi a bit of a rewatch. I think you'll have a different experience. Yeah. At least I hope I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. getting into bye week, uh, I went and I, I've been on this kick where, well, first off, I'll, I'll explain why I was on this kick for 80s movies. It's I don't know if you watched all of them, but the ILM documentary, docuseries, The Light and Magic, behind the peak of what happens with ILM, starting from the ground up and, and moving up until like the Marvel stuff and, and, and Mandalorian. I finished episode six, so I've literally been piecemealing it out for each week because my initial idea was, oh, Andor is going to be out on uh, whatever, the 31st of August, and if I watch one episode a week, that'll literally bring me up to Andor, 
well, of course, it got delayed three weeks, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. So anyway, I've been I've been holding it off, and every Wednesday I've been treating it like it's a release, and I've just been watching it every Wednesday morning, getting getting hyped up. But yeah, they've been putting out really awesome content about like, hey, how do they make certain special effects shots from certain things? So I went and I watched ET last week. I was talking about that. I watched that in IMAX because uh, like Rogue One, they re-released that in IMAX, which looked so cool, sounded awesome. And then I ended up watching Poltergeist because I had never seen that movie, period. And man, oh man, I was talking about the references to Star Wars on E.T. last week. And Poltergeist just completely destroys them. Uh, There's not like any like dialogue things of anybody talking about Star Wars. But this one kid, you know, it's like uh suburbia in california you know typical like four uh four person household and the younger brother has star wars everywhere in his room just like i do and it's my dude (laughs) it's like in the 80s and he's got like a a c-3po like light switch he's got the darth vader in the background he's got the star wars bed sheets like every corner of his room has star wars in it and even at one point for some reason his sister had a Luke ac- Luke Skywalker action figure like in her mouth, like chewing on it. <laughs> it was so bizarre. But I was like, I think I have to give Poltergeist the award for the most Star Wars memorabilia, besides like fanboys fan film or something like that they had in like a single movie because it was it was pretty large. And mind you, like this is like the mid '80s too. It's not even like. You know, I don't even know if Return of the Jedi was out by the time of this movie. I'm being honest with you. I have to look up the date. But we do know that Steven Spielberg did the story for the movie. I think wrote some of the script for the movie. He didn't direct it. But there you go. Like Steven Spielberg, George Lucas. Like, yeah, throw all the Star Wars stuff in there. Because why not? Well, let's see. Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. So, yeah. uh, if anything after 83, then probably, yeah. <laughs> we uh, got we got Matthew Negabauer in the chat and he's saying, Oh sir, not talking about my basement. <laughs> yeah. No, we got we're not the, talking about your basement. We got the other half uh, of Ion Cannon in the chat and just quick reminder and housekeeping for everybody. We go live every Friday at nine o'clock Eastern on Adderim Transmission. Uh we also have the podcast available to download on all your podcasts networks that is over there on monday at uh around 12 a.m so for your commutes and everything else it's ready for the for the work week for you guys um so getting back to it uh yeah so i had a i had a fun time there um just pointing out all the like references like like being like the guy um with the meme with leonardo dicaprio like it's like on the on the seat in the movie theater like pointing like ah i see that i see that. yeah it's like yeah. <laughs> he's got a todd todd he's got this he's got that it's just like okay and now every movie has like several star wars things all the time um look at spider-man you know the, the death star and all that kind of stuff that's yeah i remember have you ever seen the ben affleck movie argo no i haven't seen that i hear that that was that won a lot of awards from what i remember. well at, at the very end of that of that of that of that uh movie it takes place in 1979 you have you see argo the, the main guy returns back to his son and then the final shot is just his little desk and had like vintage old 70s late 70s early 80s star wars action figures they got like the darth vader the boba fett and before empire strike back has even come out so got like all those classic kenner toy 
the Star Wars action figures. Oh, wow. That's the Star Trek ones with the round, too. So that was kind of like the final shot, and that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was like pointing those, those sorts of things out. Um, yeah. So we're ready to move on. We had some, some big releases this week. Um, I always like to point out every week our Star Wars releases in um, the paper canon, as Matthew uh, coined a phrase, and I can't get rid of it now. <laughs> so, the the I, I think he did. Unless you did, I don't know which one of you. I'm pretty no, sure he, he did. did. Okay, that was him. <laughs> so we had some big releases this week. I say big releases because technically we have our first Star Wars: The High Republic Phase Two story, and that is in Star Wars Insider issue number two thirteen. Um, so that is a magazine Star Wars Insider that's been going on as long as I can remember. Um, I have signed up like a year or two ago for a subscription through some website i found online which gave me like a heavy discount and they shipped me these magazines it's got to be like two weeks earlier than they go on the shelf in the, in the stores so for me it's like yes i'm like one of the first people to read the high republic story um but it's called a tales of um enlightenment and these stories are basically framed at this bar called enlightenment on Jeddah in the holy city by the temple of kyber you have this character that is basically our look at what is happening around the galaxy. So, for instance, like the one story that they're on, it's part one of two. And this one person that is a prospector for hyperspace travel, apparently Batu exists back then as far as it being settled. Black Spire Outpost is about there 350 years before the events of Phantom Menace because, remember, this is like 150 years before... Uh, Light of the Jedi, which is 200 years before. So it's like, I know you get into the maps, like, where are we exactly in the timeline? So I would mark this as like the earliest canonical piece of Star Wars literature out right now, if you're not counting legends, of course. Um, so it's cool because it's like, yeah, she got like ransacked by these Nemoidian pirates. And then there was a Jedi that was in the sail next to her. And it was funny because he's like, oh, yeah, I could have gotten out of here at any point. I purposely got myself caught because I'm poor. I can't afford a transport. There is a planet that I want to go to that I want to study. And I heard that this pirate ship was heading in that direction. So I figured I'd get myself captured. And then when I get to that planet, I would just basically retrieve my lightsaber through the force, get it through the bars, cut myself out, and eventually get off of the ship. I was like, seems like that's a very annoying way to get where you want to be. So uh, the, 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 the prospector um, that were, that's telling the story to this character at the bar is like, I was really angry at the Jedi because he could have freed me at any point and, uh, you know, he just took his sweet old time doing it. So uh, that's basically the, the framework of the story is like, hey, there is there's hyperspace prospecting going on. That's something new. We learned that hyperspace travel is dangerous, which we kind of knew about, but um, especially with these pirates. And this is a, a lawless time. They're, the Republic is not having its foothold in anywhere they are still developing the outposts and you know me and uh matthew were at that high republic panel over there at star wars celebration and uh, they were talking all about these survey teams that are headed by jedi that also have like these technological droids that ferry back information like the old pony express thing so it was a cool kind of table setting that the, the insider um story was just like hey this is the world this is where we are right now 
And these are the types of things you could expect. So it, it was a nice little thing that whet my appetite going into October, which we got basically. Oh, yeah, I think it's literally a, as a recording. Uh, we're going to get um, The Path of Deceit, which is the young adult novel that kicks everything off officially um, a month from today, which is, uh, you know, October oh. 2nd. So there you go. Nice. We're going to have a lot of content. Nice. Um, it's going to be Fast and Furious. They do have an insert in that insider, um, which they have a lot of um, interviews with the new the new writers that are involved. Remember, they brought four new writers. Um, and they have, like, I don't know, I think they're going doing away with the waves or something of, of the higher public because they have just a very... It's like there's stuff coming out in October, November, and January... And then they have a gap, and then they have stuff coming out only in April and May, and then it's over. So it's literally only like a six, it's like a seven-month or an eight-month um, phase, it looks like. So very exped expedited, and it, it gets me to wonder, like, oh, okay, um, I guess they brought these writers on, the new ones, to take the brunt of the work off of the original uh, crew of the five, and then maybe... By the fall of next year, we could get phase three already. Is what I'm thinking about. So, oh, I, I that makes sense. I mean, you know, I mean, I know people were already a little miffed up. Wait, we're not going to continue. We're going to go back. It's like, wait, there's still more, there's lots of unresolved stuff in phase one. It's like, what go on? It's like, I'm sure people want to get back to phase three and keep moving forward as soon as possible. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a bit more of a of an expedited. Uh, phase just to kind of like okay well we gotta see some backstory here because I'm um, sure that's gonna be important later and then uh, once the backstory is all seen you give it you get it it's like okay now that that backstory is gonna really help you understand what this final probably even bigger phase if I had to guess phase three if it's the last one yeah. it's like a, a three phase thing gonna be like you know, the big home run thing uh, in terms of like this is the final big battle between the Nile and the Republic so you know, this is yeah. it. So, I, mm -hmm. we'll interlude and then on to the big stuff. I, I think they kind of want to expedite it as well because I, I was seeing reports earlier in this week and I don't have official news stories on this, but um, apparently the Acolyte has like physical sets like already like in production or finished already. So, if that's the case, then they're going to get started filming soon, which would mean I'm thinking like an early 2020, an early 2024 release date for the acolyte and if that's I heard the case they were already filming already oh that maybe might be me oh yeah. wait they might have been because they already announced the lead actress like back at comic yeah. oh okay well basically i don't know if they want to have the higher public books like completely finished by the time the acolyte comes out that's the that's all i'm saying which would be like okay are they gonna expedite this and try to get this phase three out in 2023 where they can get it basically done just in time. I don't know. I kind of guess that the Acolyte has the late 2023 2024 release schedule. That's just... I mean, I don't think we've... I don't think they've confirmed anything about when the Acolyte actually happens, so... Yeah. I'm trying to think, but I don't think there's a release date. Well, I, I, I'm personally thinking 2026, 2024. Yeah. But, I mean, I think... We're gonna get a good idea, Disney D twenty three, and if we don't get a good idea D twenty three, we'll probably have to wait all the way till April <laughs> in London, and we'll get maybe a panel just on the acolyte. Hopefully, well, that's exciting about why I'm excited that celebrations coming so soon because like, oh, okay, well, 
if D23 doesn't get anything, then, you know, we get we get celebrated in April next year. And it's like, okay, well, that's actually, that's a lot closer than I expected, so that they must have something ready yep. to start kicking off. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. compared to the last two years, although, you know, celebration didn't happen because also COVID. Um, so, uh, that shows me that they both have things to say, and also, like, okay, they have, we have, have we kind of now know when the avenues of possible uh, release date thing will happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and the other release we had this week was uh, one that me and Matthew were talking about, and this is Obi-Wan number four. And man, oh, man, like this series, it didn't really start off that strong for me, if I'm being honest, written by uh, Christopher Cantwell. It started off like the first issue was like a youngling Obi-Wan running around Coruscant, which is pretty neat because we didn't really ever see a youngling Obi-Wan. The next issue I was not a fan of, and that was one with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan like in this dark world that apparently was like messed up because there's like some radiation or something like that. But it wasn't until episode three or issues three, mind you, um, mm-hmm. where they have the Battle of a- Abraham Bridge, which was a brand new thought of story battle for the Clone Wars in which it's like a losing battle on all sides. And it's just epic in scope. There's different ships and Jedi and militiamen and, and all this stuff that's working. And then you have issue four that came out this week and it actually addresses like the cost of war and what it does like you know, mentally traumatizing people and, and how this uh, Commander Mechadrex ends up going AWOL, essentially, and, and just becomes like a nihilist and just starts, you know, blaming the Jedi and killing clones and just like resides at the Sith temple. It's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And the story was so good. Ooh, nice. I've heard, I've heard good things. That, that's cool. It's nice to see the Clone Wars, like, you know, be all dark and edgy for like a day. Like, yeah, it's war. That's what's going to happen. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've always thought about the idea of like, hey, it can't just be the clone troopers fighting, right? There's got to be, well, we've seen like the Saul's Freedom Fighters on Onderon in the Clone Wars arc, but I was like, I wanted to see more of that stuff. And that's kind of what this, these, these two issues gave me a little bit more of like the effect on the galaxy outside of the Republic and, and different things like that. But yeah, it just shows you that, you know, as many episodes as we got from the Clone Wars, I can still get more Clone Wars stories, and I'm not complaining. I'm like, give me more. I was like, Christopher Cantwell needs to get an ongoing series of just, like, battles that are, you know, of the Clone Wars in this style, because it's just, it's, it's you know, very melancholy-esque, yeah. and, but it is just awesome action, and you get a lot of cool uh, dialogue between Anakin and Obi-Wan, and Anakin is over there just, like, doing some stuff that he doesn't mean to do and it's like Obi-Wan's there to kind of like give him a helping hand and all that kind of thing. So um, as we'll talk about Brotherhood later on, which very much has a lot of that too, it was great to just see more Anakin and Obi-Wan content, especially as we said earlier, uh, having watched Obi-Wan Kenobi series recently. It's, uh, it's a nice reminder. And that's why they synergize these things, everybody. They put them out at the same time on purpose. Right, we're not getting a lot of Andor tie material though, which is surprising. Yeah. Which is honest, are considering it's probably the most transparent show they've had. Like, got Tony Gilroy giving an interview every five days. It seems like, uh, yeah, it's like pretty open about what's going to be in the show. So, um, I'm surprised there's not a lot of Andor tie-in stuff, or maybe it's like, eh, we don't need it. We got everything in the show we need. Yeah, um, uh, go go watch Rogue One. There's there's your tie-in stuff. Or read Catalyst. That, that's, 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 oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. 
And maybe, yeah, I guess maybe the, the show will tell us so much about his backstory that they're like, hey, we don't even really need any more of his backstory. You got it all in the show. So there you go. but there you go that was what was out this week next week we have star wars issue number 27 yeah 27 i want to yep that's the death star plans uh death star 2 plans are in the running so i'm very much looking to see how that resolves itself um finally getting some more luke skywalker action from the looks of it because he has been taking uh quite a back seat in the recent star wars star wars flagship series so moving on to the news, we have an update. We have a, we have a bunch of updates uh, this week. Uh, run through these pretty short before we get to our main discussion here. Uh, apparently, Ryan Johnson uh, had an exclusive story over there at Empire. Um, the, the trilogy is still in the works. He's updating. Um, just long story short, he's very involved with the Netflix deal. Um, something called Glass Onion. I'll be honest, I haven't even seen Knives Out yet. But he's working on two sequels to knives out apparently and then i think they say that netflix paid some exorbitant price for like several hundred like a couple hundred million to him to make these movies or something right is that is that right or is that too much no that sounds all right from what i've heard netflix oh kind of giving gosh. people it's no wonder they're having business problems like yeah too much money on these yeah really <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I've heard nothing but amazing things about Knives Out from anyone who's ever seen it. I haven't seen it myself, but uh, I, I wish I did, because I've heard nothing but it's a great movie. But uh, Yeah, yeah, but I've heard, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're giving everybody just cash money. So. <laughs> yeah, of course, um, you know, brings up a lot of just what we think we're kind of done discussing Last Jedi, of course, whenever there's... There's uh, some Ryan Johnson stuff comes out, and of course it gets the internet and uproar, and there's the the debates that follow suit, as we could all expect. So be careful out there on the internet, because somebody might yell at you if you say the wrong (laughs) things they don't want to (laughs) hear. But yeah, it's just uh, it's it's interesting to say like like it's just this this project that got announced before. The Last Jedi was even out in theaters officially. The Lucasfilm had given him an entire trilogy. And uh, we get it, you know, the, the trilogies are very much sacred um, to to Lucasfilm. They want to make sure that they don't mess this up. Uh, but at the same time, it looks like he's probably going to just have to finish these two movies before he even gets involved again. If that's the case, then, you know, the we fact might though not... that he's even said yeah. that in an Empire magazine, I think that's still a good chance of, like, it's still happening eventually. Um Remember, uh, Indiana Jones is coming out next year, and I bring that up is it next year or this year? No, next year. Uh, I remember yeah. that was announced in 2012. So <laughs> 2012, 2023. Oh my like, gosh! It took forever to get Indy Five. Talk about a pre-production time. Oh man! I think Indy Five was in 2012. I know they announced it like. I know they announced it even before Episode Seven came out, so that that should be an indicator of how long we've known there there would be one day in Indy Five. Oh wow! Yeah, that is, uh, damn. Yeah, I did not realize that movie was announced that far back. That's that's kind of crazy. But yeah, let him do his thing and don't rush it. I mean, we see Taika Waititi. We're all like, we want that movie out in 2023, and he's like, I'm not even finished writing yet. Um, so just. Let them take their time. It's not like there's any shortage of Star Wars. And 
I know it's not a direct comparison in the slightest, but there's there's been a lot of stuff in the gaming industry I just want to bring up with like they should have delayed that thing because if they did it would have been better now nobody wants to play because it's a terrible state right now I'm talking about Halo Infinite <laughs> and yeah. the multiplayer is like oh man the story was great but then you go to the multiplayer and it's just like how has this thing not changed in a year like there's like no new content um, same thing with Cyberpunk 2077 they kept delaying it they kept delaying it they should have delayed it more because I still haven't played the game yet and I still own it. Um, so, you know, if I take any th- credence from the gaming industry, um, there's no shortage of Star Wars on TV. Um, and as long as I keep telling good, interesting stories, it's not going to make me feel that bad that I have to wait longer for a movie. If I'm getting fed Star Wars content on a weekly basis, that's going to be on the caliber of Andor. You know what I mean? I I think we might there's a good chance we might see Tyka's film twenty twenty four, latest twenty twenty five. That's my that's my best guess estimate. Yeah, twenty twenty four, and then we get Rogue Squadron twenty twenty five, and then maybe by that point the the Ryan Johnson will have gotten some start on on a trilogy there, and it could be interesting. Like I would like to see him take like a. If he's in complete control of writing this thing and directing it, I've just been, me and you were just chatting early before we started recording about Rings of Power. Speaking of which, Lord of the Rings, like, take the Peter Jackson approach. Just shoot this thing back to back to back. It's never been done with Star Wars before, but we see how effective um, films can be that are in a trilogy when you can just shoot them succinctly. Like, get the actors, be like, hey, you're going to sign your your life away for the next (laughs) three to five years. But we'll pay you like fifty million dollars. Don't worry about it. Um, and and there it's, you go. <laughs> it's risky, and that's why they don't do it for a lot of things, obviously. But with Star Wars, you could get away with that. Like you could have honestly gotten away with that with Episode Seven, Eight, Nine. Like you're guaranteed at least a billion on that first one because it's the first Star Wars in so many years. So, like, yeah, I, I could see you could honestly probably get away with doing that method. I mean, there's a there are pros and cons to every method of making a movie. I don't think there's one there's one correct way. Otherwise, we all be rich and making bazillions of dollars. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that would be an interesting way to do it. Um, I don't know, like what what Ryan Johnson's trilogy format is, like how far in space in terms not actual space, but like is it like a move a story that will take place over the course of five years? Does he have like a one year thing? He probably even doesn't have like that. He probably just has the basic concept. And, he probably hasn't even worked on that stuff yet anyway. So, But yeah, that's definitely an interesting way to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so moving on to our next story here. What we have going on is an update on video games, by the way. We just mentioned them. Uh, apparently, Quantic Dream has been acquired by NetEase. So NetEase is... Well, Quantic Dream, let's, let's clear that up, is the developer for Star Wars Eclipse. We have... Uh, heard that it's been not doing so great on the hiring state of things. You know, the stories coming out about the the leader of this whole studio is kind of a jerk from what it seems like. So, of course, nobody wants to work with somebody like that. So they're having <laughs> trouble uh, hiring. Um, but they have been acquired by a Chinese company, um, NetEase, which is kind of infamous for having a lot of microtransactions. So me reading behind the lines here and a lot of other people online were like, oh, of course, this studio, which has been trying, Quantic Dreams have been trying to get bought out from a publisher for years. And nobody's been like 
buying them. <laughs> They're just like, of course, this Chinese company would be the one to do it that has the gross microtransactions. So I know their game is going to be single player and narrative driven, but please, oh, please, just don't put like random crap in here that I have to buy, you know? Oi. Like, Star Wars Eclipse has had like the worst luck. And like, I thought, like, I don't even know what's going to come out at this point, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I know one day we'll get a Knights of the Old Republic remake someday. Because mm-hmm. they're just instant money to be made again. No risk. Instant money with that. But uh, with this one, it's like, is it even going to happen at this point? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and it's a shame because it's the High Republic we're talking about. We talked about the Acolyte. We talked about Phase 2 of the High Republic. There's a chance we could get a freaking video game and complete the full circle with a TV series, a video game, a book, comics, like just the whole nine yards. Hey, just throw a movie in the mix down the line and we got everything so it's and the worst part is like they put out the cinematic and it looks so good it was it was a good star wars cinematic and it, it got me intrigued and ah but we'll see we'll see um what happens there if this thing comes out before 2027 that'll be a miracle i think at this rate <laughs> i don't know if you've watched the watchman series on HBO that was released to critical fame a couple of years ago, but the creator of that, who also uh, was a part of Lost and The Leftovers, his name's Damon Lindelof. Uh, there was a story a couple months ago about him being involved with Star Wars somehow. Now he's been seen regularly on a Disney lot, so uh, we've been we've been getting this. Uh, we're not sure what he's working on, but this has come from Jeff Snyder, who is a He's a big time, uh, you know, Hollywood kind of uh, leaker or whatever you want to call it, influencer, um, who's really right on a lot of this stuff. So he's been hearing that, you know, he's there. But anyway, so what could this guy make? You know, this guy, I watched Watchmen and it was incredible. I love that series. It was, it had a lot of messages for like the real world through that, which is something that Star Wars always done. I mean, look at George Lucas, you, you know, making. Yeah. A statement on the Vietnam War and, and, and Return of the Jedi and all that kind of thing, and and uh, so it's good to have that you know strong resonance of a theme behind the actual fiction itself. So I think that Damon is a great great filmmaker um, for the things I've seen him. I, I, well, that's really the only thing I've seen him do. Honestly, I haven't really. I know Lost. a few things. Uh, I know from Lost. I heard out of Lost. Um, he both of the Abrams Star Trek movies. He wrote them. I think he wrote. Oh, them really. Uh-huh. He also co-wrote um, Tomorrowland, uh, that Disney movie Tomorrowland. He co-wrote that with uh, okay. Brad Bird. Uh, no, Brad Bird? Yeah. He's the Pixar guy, right? Brad yeah, Bird. he did Brad too. Uh, oh, okay. Co-wrote that, and now he's showrun Watchmen, uh, which apparently is really good from what everyone says. So he's he been around. He's been around for a lot of things. Uh, I'd be really curious to see what he do, what he can do with a with a Star Wars, maybe the showrunner of another Disney Plus show, or a, a writer for a movie. I mean, he knows how to do both. He's done theatrical and television, or streaming television. So, uh, yeah, an interesting pick if he whatever he's working on, if he's working on anything at all. Yeah, well, and who knows? You know, Lucasfilm is so secretive. Who knows who else they're talking to right now? Who else is on the set of these sorts of things? Because it's... He writes scripts in secret. Yeah, That they have just lying around. 
Exactly. You got that shelf that everybody talks about all the time. Uh, maybe we'll take some stuff off that shelf every once in a while and give it to an up-and-coming uh, creator out there. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So Andor is, at this point, less than three weeks away. So we got a little bit of an Andor hype check. I know recently, as of today, I think they put out a new teaser oh, TV spot. There, there, there we go, guys. They got the TV spots rolling. You know that's how we're getting close. You know we're gonna get you know TV spot number thirteen with with all of two seconds of new footage. So yeah, I mean as far as your hype, I'll I'll let you lead this one off. So how are you feeling with the promotion? How are you feeling with seeing things like maybe action figures that are leaking that are showing different outfits of different things that I've seen? Where are you at with Andor? I know you were saying that. It also is going to be the dark horse of the Star Wars universe as far as like, oh, this this thing's going to be the one that's the best out of all of them. Oh, I'm hyped, man. It's going to be the best out of all of them. Um, I, no, I've, I've been hyped for Andor since the announcement. Rogue One is probably my favorite of the Disney-era Star Wars films. Um, and they're bringing in Tony Gilroy, and I just love everything he says. The way he seems to be approaching this series, like saying all the right things for me. Uh, just the trailer itself going to be unique, going to be dark, going to be like very different type of Star Wars than we're used to. Uh, and I'm, you know, they've been really open about this series, even more so than I think Kenobi. And they were pretty open about Kenobi too. But like, you got Tony Gilroy and, and Diego Luna just interviewing all the time. They're, they're being very transparent in what's in the show. I don't really think they've really hidden anything. It's like, there's no secret. It's just like, here's what you're going to get. Um, so, in on that regard, it's like, go cool. Um, you know, it's going to be 12 episodes, two seasons, that's like 24 episodes total. Uh, looks great, looks amazing. And I'm just, I'm just super excited. I'm like, I'm hyped for this show. I think it's going to be the most unique Star Wars project we've gotten this year. Yeah, what I really like about it is long-form storytelling. 12 episodes, none of this, you know, six-episode stuff we've been getting through Marvel and, and Obi-Wan. Um, the fact that the the detail of just the fact that they're not using the volume. I know we were so excited about volume. And it seemed like everybody after Book of Both and Obi-Wan kind of like turned tail a little bit on it. And was like, ah, maybe it's not such a good thing anymore. But if it's utilized right, like how John Favreau and Dave Filoni use it, it's fine. Um, well, I'm sure they like, used the volume somewhere. I, I, I bet they didn't. I bet I don't buy Tony Gilroy saying he didn't use the volume. I think he used it for something. He probably didn't use it a lot, but I think he used it like week once. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah. Senate I mean, shot. That's that Senate shot, probably. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think they built an actual Galactic Senate. Oh, that'd be cool if they did. You're right. I mean, that would be the perfect opportunity to have that. Who wants to sit there and build all those sets? I mean, come on. It's crazy. But yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to the Coruscant of it all and seeing the Imperial holdings there and and everything that's evolved for the political we have been straying away from the political after the prequels you know most of the people back those days were like get that out of star wars we don't need that anymore and then we got the sequel trilogy and they're like where are the politics there's no politics down and then lucasfilm's basically like, i thought you guys didn't want politics and it's like yeah we need a little bit of it and they're like all right here we go with andor we're getting a look at the imperial seat of power and I'm very curious to see if we even see Palpatine because, you know, us book readers know that, you know, he's infamously not ever really at those meetings. It's like Massimita that's doing most of the delegation and, you know, 
fake pills that aren't really doing anything or so i'm very curious about that whole procedure is like how do you have a government that has thousands of seats on a senate but like nothing happens like ultimately down the line it's like you know, Emperor gets the bill in front of him, uh, veto, 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 or something. Like, oh, no, how no. Is that he signs process? it, and then he just puts it in his filing cabinet, which is just the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I can't wait to get Mon Mothma's perspective on all of this. I think that's going to be, like, the best part of parts of it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just had, like, this idea of, like, all the senators getting ready to vote, and it's like, all the stormtroopers behind the senator just like, yeah, are you gonna vote? Are you gonna vote? <laughs> um, but no, I'm excited too. It's like this seems like it's like the first time Star Wars is attempting an actual political thriller type show. I mean, there's always been politics in Star Wars, but they have been political thrillers. They're not like you know House of Cards meets Star Wars. It's always been you know just oh man politics. Like, I think it's the closest thing you're going to get to that type of politicking, as it were. You know, obviously, Mark Mothma is a senator, and she's in the, basically in the capital. So, you know, she's going to be dealing with a lot of those people, and, um, you know, got Andor, or that, I like to call him Andor, because that's what they've been to that, that one guy called him Andor. Oh, um, man, Lithium, yeah. Uh, Andor has been, you know, he's on the, he's in the, he's doing the grunt work. You know, he, he's doing this, the thing that must be done to to win the war, so. And obviously we're going to see Saw Gerrera, and he's, he's doing lots of things. Lots of questionable things against the Empire. I mean, the Empire, so. I don't have that much of a qualm against it, but, uh, you know. Um, you know, it can be cool to see kind of him and what he's been up to. And, like, maybe he's skeptical of Mon Mothma, because he's like, you know, he's a... He's a fancy, fancy senator with her mansion and her, her private car. Like, he's been doing the real work in the ground, fighting the Empire. They're like, why should I join you? Um, you kind of see all those kind of things kind of come together. It's going to be really sweet. What you explained just now of comparing this show to a House of Cards meets Star Wars is a damn good analogy because that could be awesome if that's actually what they pull off. Like, I, yeah, I was thinking of, like, Game of Thrones slash... But yeah, but that, but but the whole house of cards—that that's a damn perfect uh, expectation. That now I' gonna go in with like, all right, better feel that way. And the born identity, and the born identity. Yeah, see, I never watched yeah. those. I like Tony Gilroy's book. Those, those. I think you're. Oh, that's right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But I'm looking forward to the spy espionage. I mean, that's what this series is sold on—is the spy espionage. That's been a common thing in Star Wars. You always we got a lot of those things for whether it be the Last Jedi, a New Hope. There's always been a little bit of sneaking around in Star Wars, and I was very excited to see like an image or of Andor, who was in Imperial costume pre Rogue One. So we're getting yeah. that idea of like, oh well, how is he so good at doing that in Rogue One? Well, he's done it before, and he's done it on this planet, and he's gotten this information, and we got that clip. Um, of him, you know, handing off that information or whatever he is, and and he's getting paid for it. And Luthien is saying, "Hey, you know, selling cars, 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 character. Like, I'll pay you a thousand credits to tell me how you did it, and you just go in act like you belong there, and no one cares, you know." So, what you thinking about that clip? Let me let me hear what you thought about the clip that was released. Oh, it was so good, and you know, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of funny how, um, you know, dressing up as an imperial. It's like a trope in Star Wars. Everyone does. Yep. It's like, you know, ah, oh, look at that. They, they, 
they, you know, you guys have the story but they don't know. And then, bam, you know, Rebels does it, New Hope did it, Rogue One does it, Last Jedi does it. Um, I don't think Brian Skywalker did it. Um, but almost everyone does it. Um, that's sort of like the classic Star Wars trope. But I like it here because it's like, it really kind of like, it takes that kind of goofy trope, that kind of very, but here it's like, oh no, there's an actual reason why this is happening. It's like, the Empire are a bunch of elitist mucks. And, you know, they're like, they are evil, and they think they're better than everyone. So it's like, you know, you know, riffraff like you getting into our facilities. Like, yeah, you know, like, that's not going to happen. We're, we're so mighty, look at us, we're the Empire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, stuff like that, and also just losing, just like, here, get this out of the bread. Now tell me, get, get it over with, kid. Um, you know, it's like showing that this is not, this isn't a new hope. This is not, you know, you know, it's like, this isn't Rebels. But I like those shows, too. I mean, I like Rebels, I like A New Hope. It's like, this is very much realistic Star Wars, as much as you can get realistic with Star Wars. I mean, yeah. as I've said, this is Star Wars for grown-ups. In, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not going to be like Radar. It's not going to be like violence and, you know, super-duper violence and other stuff. It's like, as Star Wars for grown-ups it can possibly get. As, as far as you can get without obviously making it a hard R or anything like that. <laughs> I don't think Star Wars should be, but um, if you want your Star Wars for grown up, this is as close as you're going to get to it, I think. Yeah, I mean, we, we with, with Star Wars, they wanted to have some content that is based in that original trilogy era where the, the, the you know, the fans came from originally back in the, you know, they're in their 40s, 50s, whatever. This is going to be, like, their show. That, that and Mandalorian. I guess a lot of the content does have the iconic Stormtrooper in it, like, beating the heck out of Stormtroopers. Obi-Wan, uh, one of the most... I, I don't know if I'll call it graphic, but things I was most surprised by by Death of a Stormtrooper is one gets cut in half by Lasergate. So it's like... I, I say, oh, wow. for grown-ups, I mean, not in terms of, like, violence. Although it's probably violence. But more in terms of, like... Dealing with some very mature scenes and ideas, like you gotta yeah. think about the nuances and like Andor is not your, your clean cut hero like Kenobi is or even Din Djarin. You know, he he can do some stuff. He can probably got to stab his own best friend in the back because mm-hmm. you know the cause needs it. You got Saw Gerrera. He's like, you know, here's an, a truck full of Imperials, but they're all cadets who are ten years old. Do I blow it up? You know, it's like, do I make that choice and those sorts of kind of dark things you gotta do for the revolution did you read the book leia princess of alderaan i did now the part with saw guerrero where he gets the flechette rounds and he just massacres like in was it like innocent people yeah are are you sure that you're not seeing a rebel rising in oh wait that's the one wait was it now i'm confused it might have been rebel (laughs) rise it's not even rising. I don't think Saw's in Leia Princess of Alderaan. He's suspected to be in it. Panaka, but... whatever one Panaka is in. That's that's Leia. That's Leia. So if you're thinking of Panaka, then you got it. then that's Leia Princess of Alderaan. So yeah. Oh, you okay. Well, 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 no, because then I guess um, two tubes plants a bomb on him or something. <laughs> yeah, that, then that's then that's Leia Princess of Alderaan. That's oh, Leia, and then it's a separate one where where Saul goes in. In the other book, and he just like well, basically, it just shows you how ruthless the guy is. Like, oh, why? Yeah. Like, he just massacred these innocent people, and and I will, as bad as it is for me to say this, like, I hope we get something as heinous as that happening in the Andor series because it seems like 
there's there's got to be a reason for the people to know how bad this guy is and why in Rogue One he's so hated. Like they they haven't right. really gave us a reason. Like they they showed us like um, people being interrogated by the Borgullet. <laughs> but I mean that's like not super bad. Like let's see evidence of Saul just like going on the gray line, like like skirting be- between the edge of evil. To get his own, like, let's see that and let's see Mon Mothma's reaction because then we see in Star Wars Rebels, like, how riled up Mon Mothma is, but we still right. don't really see why she could be rationally, like, that mad at him yet, in my opinion. So I'm hoping we get the fact that we got Saul Guerrero on the poster of the darn thing means he's going to have a lot of screen time, in my opinion. I hope he does, at least. Oh, yeah, I, ho- I hope so, too. Uh, yeah, I would like to see it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I haven't been looking into this as much as I would for like a Star Wars movie as like all these other characters. And I don't think there's a lot explained about. But if you look at this poster, there's like five or six characters that I literally know nothing about. I don't even know what their character names are. There's like a character in an ISB white uniform. There's like several settler looking people that come from probably the same planet that Andor's. I don't know if who these people are or anything, so I'm kind of going in with a blind eye right now. Um, so that's really exciting. You know, it's just like, I don't no, know you should. I think you should. I think Andor is very much the, it's the dark horse of this, of this, of the three coming out this year. I mean, you know, Book of Boba Fett, Kenobi are obviously legacy characters, so they kind of do a little bit of their own heavy lifting with their, um, with their marketing. Uh, you know, Kenobi especially was the big one everyone been you know clamored for for years and then here's old andor andor you know mm-hmm. like you know he's not it's not super new he's he's six years old yeah he is six years old because rogue one is six years old this year um <laughs> uh, so he's been in the fight since he was six years old um to quote the movie um but you know like no one's really kind of had like their super hard core deep notions of what the andor's path is like Outside of like, unless you read like a visual dictionary or something. So, um, you know, it's going to be really cool to kind of see kind of people just kind of coming in with like really not, no expectations whatsoever, unless you're like a diehard Mon Mothma person who like has a very specific need for Mon Mothma, like something, which I don't think a lot of people are outside of maybe a few book fans like myself. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, so, so. I'm looking forward to Andor. I still got to get out to the movie theater and watch the IMAX, watch the new um, preview. Um, did you get a chance to see it? Are you planning on seeing that in the theater? No, I, I don't have the time, sadly. Me I would either. I would that would have been amazing to see Rogue One in IMAX. Yeah, I, I think like, it's going to be there for a couple more weeks, I think. Um but yeah, I know my IMAX theaters are few and far between. I used to have one in my neighborhood, and then of course the pandemic just they just went out of business. So it's like son of a gun. Now I have to travel like 20, 20, 25 minutes, which is a lot better than some of the people I've heard that have had to make the pilgrimage to see the mighty Rogue One in theaters again. So <laughs> we'll yeah, I mean, see. I have a few IMAXs around still, so I've been lucky in in that regard. But. There you go. So getting into our main topic of discussion, oh man, we're talking about the good stuff here. So I want to say it's worth noting that we're talking about the Del Rey novels and specifically, I know that uh, Padawan came out, that's technically a young adult novel, and uh, so we're just focusing on 
on Delray because I put out a tweet. I finished um, The Princess and the Scoundrel, and I was just like, man, oh, man, three for three on Delray. This is the kind of stuff I like, and I know you're going to have quite a, quite a bit to say. We'll go through each one of these books individually about our favorite parts and uh, big things that happened in them, broad strokes and how we felt, but it was great to see these books coming out. Yeah, some of them were kind of tie-ins, but not direct tie-ins to like actual things happening. I mean, Brotherhood, yeah, they put it out because they're promoting Obi-Wan, but that story took place way, way before that. Shadow of Sith, um, that was just done purely to enhance the sequels. And then you have Princess and the Scoundrel, which yeah, I mean, it's kind of made in a way to, for the promoting the Galactic Star Cruiser mm -hmm. Hotel. But it's cool to see that Del Rey had different books with different characters that we all love in completely different eras. You know, Brotherhood, prequels, Shadow of the Sith. You know, I would consider that more sequel trilogy stuff. And then Princess and the Scoundrel, definitely more original trilogy stuff. All telling stories that matter all telling stories that actually had huge ramifications for the characters that they have depicted in them that actually pushed the storytelling quite a bit. So, um, yeah, opening salvo, if you just want to talk in broad strokes, uh, uh, I know you're not quite dumb, Princess and the Scoundrel, but, um, yeah, do you agree with me? Like, this was, it was nice to see that they had this kind of diversity in the books that they had this summer. Oh, yeah, totally. I, uh, I, I, these are the kind of books I like maybe even more, say, than High Republic. And I've enjoyed what I've read of High mm -hmm. Republic, more mm -hmm. or less. Uh, you know, but that had its own little era. Um, but uh, these are the kind of books I really like. Because, you know, it's like, you know, you got Shadow of the Sith. That's really expanding upon something from the movies directly. Um, it's a big backstory for, you know, Rey and her, her backstory. Also going, like, what's life like with Luke? And... Even Lando in between episodes six and seven, kind of in their their heyday. Um, Brotherhood, I really liked as well, just sort of as a, um, a really good character piece for um, Obi Wan and Anakin. You know, plot wise, I feel like it was a very more a smaller scale weird way. Like it wasn't setting up any major thing, but I think in terms of just showing here's Anakin and Obi Wan at probably their best. Uh, and then for Princess Downhill, I haven't finished it yet, but I do love seeing. I think it's through the, the part of the wedding which is probably the most important part, because you know, they get married, and just kind of seeing, you know, those early days, post, uh, early days, early day, early hours, um, post Return yeah. of the Jedi, and just kind of everyone kind of like, oh dang, the Emperor's dead, the Empire's gone, now what? What do we do next? Um, Leia, you know, obviously realizing, oh yeah, I'm a Skywalker, technically. Luke's my brother. Uh, uh, that was that love triangle we had together. We all had was weird. Oh dang! <laughs> um, Darth Vader's my father. Oh, okay. But the enemy, the man who I loathe, you know, my great enemy is my father. That 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 is um, a way be like, oh wow. Um, like trying to figure all that out as well. But yeah, I think in terms of the diversity of uh, story and just in terms of characters and era, um, been really good, and I really enjoyed it. Um. And it's a kind of book, and they're one and done books, so they're, that's always nice for me. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think it's a good trilogy, but yeah, I do enjoy one and done books too. I think it's got a lot of meat to it. Oh yeah, there's definitely a lot, um, a lot of diversity. So getting into the, the Brotherhood book, you know, the story between Anakin and Obi Wan. This was pitched as, "Hey, we're going to actually explore that business on Kaden and Moya that happened." 
And I like how this comes basically directly after Attack of the Clones. Uh, just starting with, let's let's talk about Anakin as a character and his journey through the book. And what I really thought was was quite interesting is how he's thinking of Padme first off, and, and just that kind of romance they have to keep, you know, behind the curtain a little bit, and and his feelings as a Jedi and and his duty and all that. I feel like that really enhanced uh, was enhanced with this book, and it it showed us a good deal of like. How that is going, and we also had that young adult novel um, written by um, uh, for, I forget her name, um, E.K. Johnston, uh, mm -hmm. the Padme novel, Queen's Queen's no. Queen's Hope, Queen's Hope, which I don't know if you read that, but this that directly like basically tied in and like they overlapped a little bit, so I thought that was pretty. Oh neat yeah, that was cool. I read both at the okay. same time. It was like so it was like yeah, oh yeah, I noticed the uh, I noticed. The parallels there, mm -hmm. and 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 one of the coolest things I like about this book with Anakin's character is how many times they talk about his robotic hand and the fact that yeah, like literally moments before he got that severed, and it has to do with like phantom injuries. And uh, Mike Chen went on record to say he had talked with you know amputees and stuff like that to really get the. The feeling of what it could be like, and and I feel like that came like across so well, and like I I never would have thought about thinking about that with Anakin, like it didn't co ever come up with like oh how does Anakin feel, but like that's the great thing about these books is you've got time to be in a character's head, you have time to do things like that to really enhance uh, the character. So him like learning to fight with the with the saber with the feeling gone essentially like in his hands how'd you feel about that no that was cool i mean you know i like it's it's interesting that this is our first actual book of you know post uh, post attack the clones it's like date clone war day two yeah the actual clone war show doesn't I mean, take place like a month after afterwards and his hair's now a little, a little more grown up this is his hair's still short it's never the, the pattern one tape braid anymore so that's interesting. Um, you know, it was really cool just kind of seeing, you know, Anakin kind of, like, figure this all out. Like, oh, yeah, I don't have a hand anymore. Weird. And then, you know, like, he's going to make adjustments to it, but, like, it's his hand. You know, that's, it's to make it more of himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, um, and, then, and then you have this one character that I really enjoyed. There's this Jedi Initiate. And by the way, I like how they've been using that terminology a lot in Star Wars books and in comics recently because they have a hierarchy of the Jedi now. I, I don't know if this was in Legends, but like apparently you have a Jedi, a Jedi like youngling or infant or whatever you want to call them. But then it's the initiates and the initiates go out and they get their they get their crystals from um, Ilum and then they become a Padawan, then they become a knight, then they become a master. So I don't know about you, but like I, I've, I this one character that's a Jedi, uh, Mil Esbeth or something like that. Um, maybe I'm pronouncing the, the name wrong, but yeah, you got it, Mil. Mil, Mil. Um, I thought she had a great, great arc where it's like she doesn't know if she wants to be a Jedi because she's a super empath and meaning that she feels the pain of others and like. When the Clone Wars is going on, there's so much death and destruction that it is like overbearing for her to even open herself up to the Force because when she does, it just like cripples her. So I love the idea of, of how they explore just 
oh, maybe I should just not even be part of the Jedi Order because it's just too much. I'm going to shut myself off physically from the Force. Oh, I love Milk. She was great. Uh, I love the ending with her as well and her ultimate decision. Uh, part of it, like, oh, her and Anakin could have been together. That would have been cool. Um, yeah. Like, you just... I'm a little young, I think. Um, it's okay. I don't think you're old enough yes, yet. But, you know, she was... I loved her. I loved her, kind of her empathy, uh, her empath abilities, and just the fact that she can be like a healer instead of a knight. I think it's yeah. kind of cool to see different paths you can take as a Jedi. Mm hmm. And obviously, the whole thing with the Nemoidians, Kata Nemoidia, I think Mike Chen really did an awesome job with. You know, this whole book, some books we get several locations, like Shadow of Sith, we'll talk about. But this is solely focused on Kata Nemoidia, and we get a whole, like, course, basically, on politics, culture of Nemoidians, how they fit in the galaxy. It's a little bit harder to figure out sometimes, because it's like, wait, so you have, you have the Separatists, right? You have the Trade Federation, but then you also have over here is, like, the government of Kata Nemoidia that doesn't quite, like call themselves part of the Trade Federation, all of them. So it's like, that's where the politics is pretty good because we get to deal with these like thin lines and slippery slope of, oh, like the Republic can't send in troops because it's a new neutral planet. That's why they send out Obi-Wan and we get to see Obi-Wan doing this awesome, awesome negotiation work. So I, I enjoyed that quite a bit with the whole politics and, 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 Look at this this Star Wars pa uh, planet in the continuity that we currently are. No, you're right. I loved it. Um, you know, I I, I think it also kind of like you know, let's face it. As 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 what we've seen on screen so far, Nemoians are always the bad guys, right? They're the green <laughs> alien businessmen with the weird voices. Um, and you know, here they deal with like you know, no, not all Nemoians are New Gendre and the the robe wearing evil people, like, you know, you got, I, like, my favorite moment is when one of the Mordians is talking about, you know, even though he has, he has parents, it's like, yeah, they work for business because that's what their minds are. Their true passion is artwork, and they love yeah. to draw and art, and, like, they went to Coruscant, but then they had to deal with yep. some serious racism <laughs> against the Nemordian people. Um, but, uh, it, uh, you know, and it's like, no wonder the Nemordians are mad. It's like, you know, they've been kind of out, out, and kind of like blame always for like bad things. There was in the Phantom Menace, and it's like, hey, we're not all like that, you know. Those are new gun rays, so it's like, don't generalize a society based on one bad apple in your society at the time. Um, and sort of like, you know, for the Nemoidians, it's like, you know, they they got the, the shard, shard under the stick, you know, even Anakin deals with that sort of racism against Nemoidians. Mm -hmm. Padme and Queen's Hope kind of had their suspicions, and it's like, Oh, well, you know, Nemoidians are, they they can be nuanced and different too. And everything. I think Mike Chen did a great job of like really going at, hey, Nemoidians, they're, they're not all evil. It's like, it's like in how a lot of video games, every, you know, uh, Rodian looks like Greedo and the Bounty Hunters. Like, yeah, <laughs> not all Rodians are, are Bounty Hunters. Not all <laughs> Nemoidians are evil oh, business man. people. It's like, give some nuance to the aliens, which I think sometimes Star Wars needs a little bit in terms of like, just because one alien was bad in the movie doesn't mean they're all the same. Yeah. Not all huts can be gangsters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you look at some things with the Gungans, for instance. I think Daniel Jose Older in Last Shot had a cool, like, Gungan that was, 
Like, no, I'm not like your typical Gungan, right? He's the, I forget exactly what his personality was, but I know he stood out from characters like Jar Jar Binks, for instance. Um, you have Gungan that's in Charles Soule's Light of the Jedi that's working underneath one of the Tempest Runners for the Nile, and he's like this wet bub guy or something. So it's cool like that's what the publishing could do so well with the paper canon is taking some of those unfortunate things that happen with some of the alien characters and breathing new life and, and giving them new experiences and new personalities. They're like, nah, they're not all the same. They're not all, you know, talking the same and whatnot. They're actually their own individuals too. Exactly. And I think that was probably my, my favorite thing about that, that book, honestly, with all the Nemordian stuff and just learning about Nemordian society, how their brains work, how, they're good for business, but that doesn't mean like, oh, you know, they're all about making money. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, they like art, they like history, and you have kids and fam- families. Yeah, there's some uh, great, great buildup in this story. I mean, we all want to see Obi-Wan hanging out with Anakin. And I think it goes on for a little bit. I think it's like not until like the last quarter of the book where they actually unite on Kid and Amoidia. Like, you have Anakin over here doing his thing and, and Obi-Wan's already on Kid and Amoidia, but by the time they do meet up, <laughs> there is this epic moment where they're just all together fighting and it's just like, the dialogue between these two characters is, is done so naturally and so effortlessly by Mike Chen. It makes me feel like I'm watching a Clone Wars um, arc Right, like this felt like it could have been a Clone Wars arc, and that's probably the best, like, thing I could say about any of Clone Wars publishing is if it feels like I'm watching a show, then they are doing their job, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, totally. yeah, I agree. Probably my, if I have to rank them, and although I haven't experienced this scoundrel, probably my second favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that as well, and I cannot wait to see Rogue. The, the cool-ass, like, ex-Special Forces Nemoidian female um, in some other things. Because, oh my gosh, like, that was one of the strongest endings to an actual book I've read with Star Wars. Like, just the explanation of, like, the two blue blades, like, one aggressive, one defensive, like, cutting through the smoke and the fog. And then it's like, you know who those characters are. And they save Rug. It's like, oh man, like... I gotta see how she shows up later on in something. Like, it's gotta happen. Like, Mike Chen, make a Obi-Wan, like, an Anakin story again in the Clone Wars somewhere down the line. <laughs> like I said earlier, like, sometimes I'm like, do we need more Clone Wars stories? And then I go back to stories like Brotherhood and, like, the Obi-Wan miniseries I'm reading right now. I'm like, no, you can make all the make all the Clone Wars content you want. I'll, I'll eat it up as long as it's good co- quality. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy about that, and I hope he does another one because he his stuff great. Best again if he does no more Nemordians. Like, really, yeah. be the Nemordian guy and really build up that society. Although I do think they eventually have to have the stuff with his old girlfriend that we see in the Clone Wars, Duchess Satine. I think they did make a reference to her in this a couple times about how during the events of the Nemordian thing is when Mandalore like professes their want to be neutral. At that point in right. time, like, yeah. So maybe he. Like, so he like, why? 
why is Lucasfilm dragging their feet so much with that story that everybody wants to know? Are they like purposely saving that for some kind of like upcoming TV thing? That could be my only reasoning. You I know? mean, if Tales of the Jedi gets a second season, that could be something. <laughs> An anthology show. So. Yep, yep. We got we got my uh, co we got my co-host in here, Ben Maynard. Uh, he's just stopping by. He's got company over um, from out of town, which is why he can't be here tonight. And, and Midland's also uh, exposed, uh, dis- deposed somewhere. Um, so getting into the next book here, I have a feeling this is going to be the one you like the most. <laughs> and that is because it's also the one I like the most. And that is Shadow of the Sith. I'll let you, I'll let you undo the um, or unload the opening salvo of thoughts and we can get into more detail along the way because I actually went through and I made sure I pulled up my notes, my extensive notes of, uh, let me see, how many pages of notes did I make with this book? Um, uh, 13 pages worth of notes with this book. So I'll let you go first. Yeah. (laughs) So what'd you like so Um, much about this story? Oh, uh, what did I like about it? Well, of course, um, okay, that, um, what I, thank you, uh, oh, uh, everything, um, <laughs> you know, this was probably my most anticipated movie, uh, not movie, book, uh, yeah, it might as well be a movie um, with how good it was written. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie book experience for me, but, um, but, uh, what I liked about it was just, like, you know, this is sort of, this is what I like about the books, is, like, expanding on things that maybe the TV show don't really want to deal with, you know, because, like, you only know, tell so much of like this is still uh, a good enough story to tell on its own. Really give some like crucial backstory to like Ray, what her what her parents were like, expand upon something within the movie itself. Um, showing us in between episodes six and seven more directly with Luke and some of the original Phillips characters seeing what they were doing, you know, before it all went to the crud. Um I really liked Lando in this story in particular. Like, I oh, realized it was a really interesting yeah. evolution of his character. Um, it was cool seeing Luke kind of be like a, what sort of, you know, Jedi he was trying to be. Like, did he succeed? Did he fail? And I was like, kind of like, oh, you really are trying to be a prequel Jedi right now with like how you, you're, you're, you're dealing with Ben Solo. Um, I love seeing Ray's parents, obviously, Dason and Miramir, you know, kind yeah. of like, where did, where did, where did, where did Jason come from, obviously, Exegol, but, like, you know, um, you know, this sort of thing, like, oh, he was a natural growing clone, strand cast person. Um, oh, yeah. And then, you know, just kind of seeing, like, how Ray ended up on Jack and and whatnot. And obviously, Ochi. Got to see more Ochi and how that all went oh, down. Like, I, that's what I, I like. Just, it like. It's like, it's like, almost, it's kind of like Rogue One in book form. It's like, take a few lines from a movie. It's like, have minimal backstory and then make a whole story out of it so uh, maybe not that and obviously I like Kiza Kaiser, right Kiza the, the sister acolyte with the mask oh yes um, yeah Kiza mm-hmm. I like seeing that and kind of you know Epson Penchar this ancient sis gave me very legend Star Wars legend vibe with like ancient sis ghosts who are still doing things yeah. you know, they need to be dead um and just overall, a really interesting book, and just kind of seeing what that little time frame of, of before, you know, Ben Solo fell, became Kylo Ren, and all that. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I would say that 
getting that relationship between um, Luke and Lando. And mind you, real quick, I want to point this out because it was pointed out me again and Matthew. We were teaming up, tackling uh, Star Wars Celebration publishing paper cannon panels all weekend long there. And uh, yeah. I thought it was pretty cool because if you look at these books, right, there's two main characters in each of the books. These books we're talking about tonight all have interpersonal relationships, whether it be Anakin and Obi-Wan, Leia or Han, or Luke and Lando. And it's interesting because you're like, wait a minute, Luke and Lando, I mean, yeah, they said a few words together to one another maybe, but they weren't like really best buds. So like, how do they end up on an adventure together? And how that, how the heck is that going to be? And I think that, uh, you know, um, Adam Christopher really pulled that off quite well. Um, just, just the slow build of like, hey, they are two completely different people. They really are. Luke is there. He's mm-hmm. very pious. He's very just, you know, in his own head, like, studying things. And, and Lando is trying to find his daughter. And it's been trying to find his daughter. And you get so much backstory. But you just see that it, there's this moment, like you said, I think Lando is my favorite character in this because I never once cared for Lando so much as I did by reading this book. There's moments that just broke my heart when he's like, just reminiscing it about his daughter and everything else. I just like, wow. And like seeing like Luke embracing him as he's literally crying. It was like, holy crap. This is like some really powerful stuff right now that is hitting me in the feels, man. Like, ah, it was, oh, yeah. it was great. I think my favorite moment was when, you know, the Lando was having flashbacks to his daughter and they were like, Lando had his ice cream, and yeah. they were, you know, he was in the little closet cakes, and was like, it's like, they're so adorable. It's like, oh, man, like, Lando had a happy life for a little bit. Yeah. Like, like you know, this is Lando, like, flawed, buckling, scoundrel Lando, now the father man, our family man. And it's like, oh, just watching that all just go downhill, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's something, something, like, so much more tragic but i love it i love the tragedy too like oh yeah i mean i like how we we introduce we get introduced to lando and it's the same old lando like he's in this randomly like bar cantina he's playing sabacc and he you know he's trying to get some information and we pick up with luke and it's like yeah luke's just going out there trying to get artifacts we see laura santaka i mean we've been I think fans have been like wanting that for since the Force Awakens. Fans have been dreaming of let's get the adventures of Lor Santeca and Luke Skywalker, and we kind of got a little bit of this and of that in this actual book. Seeing people um, like the archaeologist uh, that that everybody loves the meme, you know, dark sciences, mm-hmm. secrets only the Sith knew, and all that sort of thing. With um, oh gosh, I forget he's in that. Name. Yeah, he's in this book. He had a weird accent in the audio book. Did you oh. listen to the audiobook, by the way? No, I, I read the book. Okay. They what gave the... a lot of weird accents to the in the audiobook. They gave that guy a French accent, and Pride sounded like Jack Nicholson. Oh my gosh, we got we got to spend some time talk talking about Pride because Pride was basically the the cause of the death of Ochi Bestoon when you think about it. Just getting him hooked. On the alcohol, and then just just the craziness behind who Pride actually is—like a guy that will 
have death sticks and kill Ewoks and she used their, used their fur as capes. Like, oh my gosh, this guy's this actual savage. No wonder he was so high in the first order. Like, even Hux would be afraid of him. It's like, <laughs> like this, is, this, this guy is the real deal. But what I liked about this is they even went through, Adam Christopher went through and gave Ochi of Bassoon such a compelling arc. And it continues with Greg Pak's run of the Darth Vader ongoing series right now, picking up from Exegol, giving us that motivation that we need, that he's going to be the guy that wants to get fixed. Like, he's he's got his eyes burned out by some giant kyber crystal mountain there on Exegol, and he, he wants to get repaid. And, and you got the Sith Eternal cult. Um, that, that was cool. But then you also have Acolytes of Beyond, and we've been... Wanting to understand what the heck those Acolytes of the Beyond were since Aftermath Trilogy. We were supposed to get a story in this canceled Chuck Wendig comic years back where he was going to shed some more light on the Acolytes of Beyond. But having Kiza there, having all those people, it just like it felt like it, the scope of this thing was massive. It was one of the bigger scopes of a Star Wars book, like you said. Having to tackle some ethereal forms with these like Sith ghosts. Oh my gosh. And then it's like, holy crap, was that Palpatine actually talking to Ochi of Bastoon at that one point? It had to have been. Yeah. Yeah, that was I think that's the thing about the book which I find interesting is like I thought I would be disappointed, but like no, I actually really liked it. Like it's called Shadow of the Sith. But I think the shadow is more about X and Panchar than it is actually about Palpatine. Yeah. And I I like that in a weird way too. It's like, you know, you got via Ochi doing his thing, but then you got, you know, this other cis dude trying to do his his thing. So I always like the idea of like cis who are like independent of Palpatine doing their thing, even though it's from like beyond the grave. Uh, uh, but uh, what was it? oh yeah, yeah, but it's like you know, um, it just kind of cool. It's like you got this one dude doing one thing, and then Palpatine doing his thing on Exegol. Uh you know, uh, I wish we could learn some more about Exegol, and maybe they're going to naturally just build it up with other things. Um, I wonder if we learned a lot. Like, you know, the cloning facility's been there for a long time, and Palpatine's been... Clearly has had the, um... Had his clones been going on for a while. I like the fact that they tied into the Vader comic as well. It's a... Jason left Exegol when OT and Vader arrived on the, during that Vader comic. Yeah, so that was really cool connective tissue. Just getting more like like I know that Matthew has a specific term from Ion Can has a specific term for this book. He's like the Reformation project for the Rise of Skywalker. What a reclamation pro I forget what the heck he, he you might know it, but I, I love the I term. I think it's point. Reformation Project for Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> that redemption project. I don't remember. <laughs> But Matthew, are you in the comments? I really think if you're a sequel fan, this is an essential book because you get so much from Ray and her parents, and you get a good idea. Like I haven't watched Rise of Skywalker yet after reading this, but I feel like I'm gonna look through it. I'm gonna watch it through. You should read the novelization, ones. honestly. Read the novelization. Oh, I have. Book, yeah, right? yeah. There's a lot uh, more in that as well. Mm -hmm. This this would take a lot from that novelization. It takes the whole Lando's daughter thing from the novelization. That's not in the movie, but it's in the novelization. So, uh, so that's that's something I like. Yeah, I like how badass Luke was. Like this is the Luke that I wanted to see at some point, and 
there's so many vehicles and ships in this damn thing that I love. Like, you get this, the fact that Luke Skywalker is on a damn modified speeder bike. Like, with his lightsaber, Ooh. not trying to kill people, but, like, accidentally killing them and actually feeling remorse. Like, you actually, he, he's not just wiping these people out like some dark side user. Like, he's feeling compassion. He's like, I didn't want to have to do that, but I basically had no other choice, unfortunately. And, like, the guy's getting drowned, like, underneath the ice or whatever, or the water or whatever the heck happened. And it's like, damn, some of this stuff is really gnarly. But that, that was really cool, getting to see his temple. And understanding that it's a Legends planet called Osis. Um, that was in the yes. Legends of, of the Old Republic, and you can go there in the game and stuff that I play still. And it's like, whoa, wow, all right, so we're getting some hard-hitting facts. We're seeing a Ben Solo, a young 16-year-old, I think he's like 16 or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, ben Basically. Solo. So that, yeah, that was neat. Yo, yo, uh, right, and Osis actually goes further back. He goes all the way to the Second Dark Empire comic. Oh. Dark Empire 2. What was that about? Oh, Dark Empire? That's the, that's the story. No, no, no Dark Empire 2. Oh, well, Palpatine came back in a clone body again. Uh, again? He had one more clone body. Yeah, so he, they destroyed the clone body. He destroyed <laughs> Palpatine at the end of Dark Empire. Uh. And then Dark Empire 2, you find out, oh, wait, he had one more clone body that's still working. So now he's on his last clone body. And he's got this new super weapon called Galaxy Gun, which can oh shoot my. missiles into planets and destroy them. And Luke Skywalker has got to find and some new Jedi buddies of his have got to stop him. And at the end of Empire's End, they do because Palpatine is going to try and possess the body of Anakin Solo and take over his body, the baby, and hopefully grow up with that. But then he gets stopped by Luke and his buddies. Oh, and Han shoots Palpatine in that in Empire Den too. Luke just shoots him. Gets, this is the body. Sometimes I'm, uh, <laughs> this is kind of why Legends got out of control, in my opinion. <laughs> and sometimes I'm thankful for Lucasfilm to just wipe the slate clean. I know people are going to be really angry at me saying <laughs> that, but I mean, we haven't actually had stories quite like that, at least in continuity, which are just so bizarre. <laughs> This came close to a classic legend book, I feel, in terms of like ancient spirits being the main villain and stuff like that. I, I got looping, yeah. um, buddies. I got really good like Lord of the Rings Nazgul vibes with oh. Luke like transporting himself to Exegol. That was awesome. Oh, that was awesome! You know, Exegol is basically the Mordor of yeah. Star Wars galaxy in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and and, and we always know like like. Dave Filoni, he he loves Gandalf, and he basically sees Ahsoka's Gandalf. So there you go. There's there's more Star Wars and Lord of the Rings crossover for you. But yeah, man, oh man, like seeing the ghosts of Anakin talking with Luke. That's like the first time in the continuity right now that we've gotten something like that. But it was not what you would expect, and it was like the radio frequency of the Force was like off or something. And that was the one thing I was like a little bit let down by because they never went to the end of the book to address that again. It was kind of just like left there where it was like, oh, I thought we would get like one more conversation of like, hey, it's fixed. It, it, the Force is maybe, fine. Maybe because it was not fixed because yeah. well, he's still out there. Still, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I, one thing I liked about that scene is, like, I like that Anakin's, like, shifting back and forth between Hayden Christensen and Sebastian Shaw. Uh, did you notice that? Where it's, like, he oh, transformed yeah. to, like, 
it, like say like he transformed to like the elderly figure and his father, and then the younger version. It's like it's uh-huh. going back between or OG edition and then special edition and get Skywalker. Yeah, um, that was cool. It had one of the yeah one of the best lightsaber duels in the, in the books that I've like read so far was like Luke going to that what, the asteroid base thing and like fighting Kiza and like that was that was so cinematic like I could, I was imagining this epic duel where like that like forge like fell over and there was magma inside this chamber and like Luke was like jumping up and, and falling down and, like using the force to pull the mask off like. It was really, like, just epic quality. I, I I was just picturing this in my head, just like, whoa, this is... Again, this is the Luke with the green lightsaber. It's like, yes, this is him and his height of his power, and you get to see the, how powerful Luke is at this point. But I also like seeing, you know, he's really trying to be, like, the prequel Jedi, like, no no mm-hmm. attachments, no, 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 no being informal with my Padawan, my nephew. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, it's like kind of like seeing struggles, like, can I be like this? Um, it's like, you know, kinda, you can tell like, oh, that's not helping his relationship with Ben, so. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, big, big picture stuff here is, you know, we know how the story ends, basically, because we've watched Rise of Skywalker. We know the parents are going to die. We know where Ray ends up. But like any good prequel story, it left me on the edge of my seat. I was wondering, like, ooh, what's going to happen for Ochi to end up here dead and all this? And it was kind of comical how that all happened, where he just gets so drunk that he just... <laughs> he loses it. That's Ochi for you. Oh, uh, one thing I really like, though, is that... Um, and this is actually kind of interesting. I didn't realize this until just now. Uh, they said Ochi was around since the Clone Wars. He was hunting Depa Balaba. Oh, so, my like, gosh. We could have even... We can even now have more Ochi stories even before the original trilogy. Like, been doing this Jedi hunting for the Sith thing forever. That's what I always wanted to know because when I first announced how he was a Sith hunter, I was like, "Really? He's a Sith?" But no, he's he's a he's a hunter that works for the Sith, hence Sith hunter. And I stood like I I sat close like I had to straighten up in my seat when I read that part with the flashback or whatever the nightmare he was having. Because a couple months prior, I had read the Shatterpoint novel, which basically that's what the story was being told, where they're in a jungle planet, Depa's there, Mace Windu is there. But I'm just sitting there wondering, like, oh, did this actually happen? Like, was he actually on that planet? But it seemed to me like it was more of a nightmare because it seems like Mace Windu basically kills him and that's how he, like, snaps out of it or whatever. But I thought that was a cool detail, too. Again, fleshing him out. And you, like you said... More Clone Wars, I said earlier, more Clone Wars stories, let's have Ochi and a couple of them going forward now. <laughs> yeah, I guess that'd be cool, like, you know, get a sequel trilogy character in the prequel era, that'd be something, because I think even in this book we saw battle droids, so it's like, cool battle droids in the in the sequel era, kind of. At least the post-ender era, so, like, mm. that's, I always like seeing kind of like that, um, that synergy between the different eras kind of all mismatching together. It's like, oh yeah, those things still would exist, you know. Obviously, maybe not a lot of them because they're all, you know, they want to get rid of the separatist stuff because, like, we'd love to have separatist stuff because of what they did. But, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sure a few B1 battle droids are lying around somewhere. Yeah, seeing the droid crush uh, pirates from the Vader comics was really neat, too. 
those wacky yeah. droids just dropping in and just causing mayhem and havoc and that whole world was like not world but like the whole station with that one character just like the guy that you knew he was up to something like ah, yeah i'm gonna call in these guys and, and we're gonna make the deal it's like ah too late and he just gets killed but that that was that was fun that was a fun moment but just the cat and mouse antics of it all like oh my gosh luke luke and lando were so close to getting to raise parents you know at one point they literally see the silhouettes of them through the 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 transparent steel canopy of the actual ship and it's like they're right there <laughs> i know it's, so it's tragic. like uh... I know, like, you know, it's like, you, you want to cross your fingers and be like, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, and then it's like, you know, they were okay. Like, you want, you're like, you're rooting for them, you're rooting for them, but you know, deep down, it's not gonna, they're not gonna make it, and it yeah. hurts even more. Yeah, it, it, it humanizes the character uh, that's played by, um, oh man, oh man, the guy on the Jakku Outpost, uh, uh, that that basically watches over Ray. You have a new respect for him now. Uncar Plunt. Uncar Plunt. Yes, we have a new respect for him now. He was her protector, even though after a certain point he was going to ask for her to work if they didn't pick him, pick her up in time, and that's what we see eventually happen. But yeah, we get a new kind of look at him. Like okay, like eh, maybe it wasn't such a yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of crummy attitude, but deep down he's got some kind of a uh, some kind of yeah, a heart, I guess. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's like poor, poor Ray still being with Uncar Plot, but like, hey, you know, it's like some people are still better than this. this. <laughs> yeah. In a way. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, just this is probably like right now sitting somewhere near like the top five of the Star Wars canon books for me so far. I would say it's definitely in the I'll top be. 10 for me. So probably my top five. Yeah, it's probably my top five. Maybe number five. I have to go through my list again, but I probably would put it in number five in the top five spot for sure. Yeah, and getting on to the last book that was released for this summer as the Princess and the Scoundrel. So so far, um, you have read through the first third. Um, I'll just give a quick little spoiler-free summary. Uh, this book is all about the wedding, of course, of, of Leia and Han. It's shortly after events, as you can imagine, after the Battle of Endor. Um, and they are on the upswing, but the Empire's still around. So we have Leia, who's trying to basically show the galaxy that it's safe to go out again and have fun. And the New Republic is in its fledgling state. So they're trying to just show the people that, hey, new government is going to keep you safe. So, it's so safe you can go on a cruise again. It used to be owned by the Empire, and you'll be perfectly fine. And then they end up on this other planet, um, which is a nice planet that has a lot going on there. So, uh, just kind of focusing on the first couple chapters, uh, since that's where we've gotten so far. Joel, did you get to the part with Leia and, and, and the bonfire of Vader? Oh, yes, I did. I, I'm on chapter 23. So, I, we're already on this, the Star Wars. Um we already left Endor. Um, yeah, um, I, I think so far everything on Endor is probably my favorite part. Um, you know, just kind of like Leia dealing with the fact that the Empire's gone, that Vader's her father, that, you know, she wants to marry Han, and Han wants to marry her. It's like everyone's kind of dealing with, like, now, like, the war is over. Well, it's not over, but it's like, 
the biggest, you know, the Emperor's gone. Like, dang, I never thought we'd actually get here. Um, I really like that part with the bonfire, too, because, like, you know, I think, I think we as both fans and Star Wars, up to a certain point, had a very Luke Skywalker-centric point of view of a lot of things. Like, you know, Anakin just defeated just threw the Emperor off a bridge, off the rails. So, yeah, yeah, he's redeemed, and, you know, he's the fourth ghost, and giving the Luke the thumbs up, like, mm, good job, boy. Um, it's like, they didn't want to be happy about it. Like, no, Vader blew up her planet and tortured him. Anakin blew up her planet and tortured him. You know, it's like if if, if Reva met the ghost of Anakin Skywalker, she'd be like, oh, no, not you. Like, stab me twice. I wanted to the kid before you got all messed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's like Vader's Anakin still got a lot to atone for. Like, and not everyone's going to forgive him. And quite frankly, they don't have to forgive him. Like, I don't think, Le- like, Leia to her, Vader's evil. And, you know, Bale and Rhea are her real parents, yeah. as far as she's concerned. Um, you know, Luke kind of had a bit more of that doughy, wide-eyed view of things. And, you know, it's like, because he's got all, like, the Force and the light side. Like, you know, like, they're like, no, this dude tortured me. I had to deal with a yeah. mind probe that uh-huh. messed me up really bad. Um... And she probably even knew Vader longer, too, just by, via her parents, be having anti-imperial sentiments for a long time. So just kind of seeing that perspective, which I think they've been doing a lot in new canon, both in books and other media as well, kind of showing, you know, like, it's not just Luke's, you know, good, you know, Anakin being the Force ghost, like, yeah, yeah, like, no, there's going to be a lot of people out there, like, aren't happy with Vader slash Anakin and shouldn't be quite frankly, because we did a lot of bad stuff for 25. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I always say this, too. It's like, oh, Vader got off the hook too easily, right? Because he, he got the redeemed for the couple seconds, and then he dies. So it's like, yeah. what happens if Vader lives, and, and, and how will the people react? So, so, I mean, in a weird abstract way, like Leia's reaction is very realistic because we never see that happening. Uh, we get a little bit of it in Bloodline, I suppose, but like getting it fresh from her perspective and seeing like her visceral reaction to the, the pyre and feeling the call to the force. I would explain that as the call to the force. She was feeling something a little weird. It was like, oh, it was like on Cloud City. Yeah, it's because it's the force. She just doesn't know it right. yet. And it just, she was getting really angry. I was like, holy crap. Like, this is Leia maybe, like, digging into her passion, which would lead to the dark side, you know? So it's like, oh, crap. Like, just, I thought that was such a powerful moment and one of the standout moments that I'll never forget when I read this book, you know? Um, for I me, mean, just, I, yeah. I've been saying this for a while. And I'm kind of curious what you got to say. I've always had this, like, opinion in my head that, like, if Leia is, like, any of her parents, like, you know, sometimes like, oh, you're more like your dad, you're like your mom. I think Leia's actually a lot more like Anakin in both her persona and kind of her her passion. Like, you know, like you know, Leia's response to the mm-hmm. first order coming is, I'm going to start my own private militia and go fight them. You know, very Anakin kind of think later. Let's get get to it. Come on, we got we got we got a few stuff to do. You know, and mm-hmm. I always feel like Luke is a lot more. Even though, like, even though, yeah, like Padme, like, like Padme seen the politics. I think, like, Anakin's got a lot about that, that temper and that kind of brashness to her. And Luke, I think, even though you know he's the Jedi, he got a lot more Padme kind of calmness. And obviously, you know, like Padme, she she still believed there was good in Anakin the whole time. While you know Leia, obviously, 
not a lot less forgiving, and I think Anakin is also a lot less forgiving of people, in a way. So, I've always sort of, I felt like New Cancer positioning it is like, if Leia is like any of her parents, she's actually probably more like Anakin than even she probably would care to admit at that moment. Oh, that's a and, really interesting perspective, putting it that way. I love that, man. That's That's really cool, just... Oh, we think so much of Padme, her, right, the daughter. But yeah, you're right. Like, making the militia, all that stuff, being headstrong. I could see it. I could see it. Uh, so, and, and, we, and speaking of Leia, like, we get some moments where she's just dealing with just the ramifications of everything. Um, and this is later on in the book. Just like, hey, like, I have to choose between duty in between a new husband like she doesn't know how to relax and i i think that's so realistic for again a lot of people bringing bringing the story down to earth making or something relatable it's like we get caught up in our work so much and it's just like sometimes you just gotta take a step back right this is freaking vacation she's on but she's making all these damn calls like even bon mothma okay we got a mom mothma playing mom mothma in this book by the way uh, it's like, yeah, you gotta just chill out, you know, and, and poor Han is like on the sidelines, like, yeah, I don't know, I don't fit on the Halcyon, I, I, be I belong in a place like the Maz Eisley Cantina, Shaman's Cantina, and here I am on this, you know, pristine ship with all these very rich people that I probably would never hang out with in my life if I had the choice, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on with Han, there's a lot going, plenty going on with Leia in the story, and, you know, the Halcyon is on the cover. It's the Galactic Star Cruiser. So the big, uh, the big elephant in the room is like, hey, is this just a, a commercial for Galactic Star Cruiser? And I am happy to say that it is not. Um, but they managed to get the Halcyon to be a significant part of the journey of this book and play into a bigger factor in the, even the last third of the book. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really did like to see how all of that kind of transpired yes they make specific references to a certain cocktail or how the cabin looks they try to explain this stuff because i mean honestly 95 percent of us are probably not going to go there for how much it costs to go and they even make a joke about that in the in the actual book like once or twice about like oh yeah it's so expensive here i was like yep can't deny that yeah. I'll probably make it to bit two before I get to the house at this point. Um, but no, I, I saw. I, I agree. I didn't. I didn't. I so far I haven't found it too egregious. <laughs> uh, and just cool seeing you know Han and Leia showing their love for one another. It's always been one of the better romances in Star Wars. I think so. Yeah, oh so yeah, this is the best. I mean, I haven't read every Star Wars book by a long shot, but this is the best Star Wars romance story because. It's not done, you know, it's not hit over the head, like, oh, they're they're making out every other scene, but there's moments where it's like, alright, they're, they're sharing a room alone, It's no one's watching, like, we're, we're newlyweds, like, this, again, down-to-earth story. These sorts of things would happen in a relationship, and when you have two important people, then every once in a while have to give in to their own, you know, carnal desires or whatever, and just, like, to give in to passion, uh... For that couple couple moments there, but I, I love that that pull and that tug between like Leia having to come back to reality, like she has to let go. Um, she's not single anymore. She's not just having one mission only. Her other mission is that she's part of a family essentially now, and and dealing with with all of that. And and 
I, I, and dealing with the Luke stuff, there's a lot of stuff throughout yeah. the book. Should I become a Jedi? Now it's going to take away from me starting up the New Republic. Having to go through those thoughts is very realistic. I keep saying it, but just like it's just a very believable thing for her character, and and where we see her end up, where she eventually does end up with Luke, but then ends up stepping back. So I thought it's, that was really interesting. Yeah, I like the Luke stuff because, like, he seems so isolated, even when he's with his friends. Like, that's why he feels like desperate to get Leia to join him because, like, yeah. someone who could understand the way to the Force. But like, he just seems so lonely at that moment. Cause, like, he is right now the last Jedi. So it's like, even when he's with his loved ones and friends, he's kind of in a different like plane of existence. Almost, it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah, um, it, it really is. You, you see that, and it's just, huh. Like, that could be how he ends up. It is sad that way. Like, like th th does he become lonely? Because we see what happens in Legends, right? He does have um, a wife, Mara Jade, and have, have a kid or two. It, does he have a single kid or, or more than one? I do not know, one. really. Just one, right? One. Is it Anakin? Yeah, I Ben. Oh, Ben. See, I'm so... The guys, on, on, uh, the other co-hosts of mine are so is getting on my, on my case about me not knowing anything about that stuff. It's like, how? But, hey, I'm rusty, all right. But, uh... <laughs> it is it is interesting. And, uh... Just everything with this book surprised me. I feel like there wasn't, um... There wasn't anything that stood out to me that was like, oh, this is egregious, or, or what the heck's going on here, as far as, like, the Galactic Star Cruiser. And when you get to that third act, that third act, just like Kated Nemoidia was, I was explaining how I love when books, like, do a really big deep dive on culture and stuff. And I feel like even this last planet that's featured uh, for that last third of the book has even more detail, and I want to see this planet in live action at some point. This planet would be really cool to see because there's something that happens at the end of the book that would make it look would make a uh, very very interesting sequel tie-in connection and 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 that's what I'll say about that. Um, I'm trying to pull up actually what the planet's name is called. Uh, it's something with an M here, um, but but yeah, it's definitely definitely. Oh, it's called um, Matters. M A D U R S. It's an it's an ice planet, but it's not like Hoth. Hoth is like inhospitable, but these people actually make like this planet habitable. There, there's not as much like heavy winds, and um, it's more ice than it is like snow and tundra. So, it's it's a cool culture that they built up. All the people, uh, just the way of life, and how the people act, and how they get food, and everything. Like they they really get a good deep dive. Of of the culture here in, in, in this book, and, Be and Beth Revis, uh, I got to give credit. I don't think we mentioned her name at all. So yeah, Beth Revis uh, wrote this, and she's the writer, as we mentioned before, of uh, Rebel Rising. So there you go. Another one of my favorite books. So yeah, definitely that Rebel Rising is my top ten. So yeah, uh, <laughs> good pick. But um, one last topic I want to talk about. I think you mentioned this. I think Matthew mentioned this. Lucasfilm and Publishing has created such a in-depth, interesting passage of time between right after the Battle of Endor 
into the last moments on the Battle of Jakku and Battlefront 2 and Lost Stars. We have so much content, whether it be the Aftermath trilogy to the um, Shattered Empire to Alphabet Squadron to Star Wars Squadrons to Battlefront 2's can There has been so much awesome content from that canon perspective that has really been awesome to see the publishing takes a forefront to the point where Operation Cinder, which is showcased in all this, is even mentioned in The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 7. So I want to get your take on this, like about how uh, how do you think they've been doing this and, and, and could we even get more stories in this time period? Because I feel like we're running out of room, but I, I, I love this fertile territory where there's still sects of the Empire that are fighting and we get stuff like the Uprising game that is mentioned yet again. Governor mobile Alhard. game, I tell you. Like, oh my gosh. That mobile game has gotten more references than anything <laughs> else. Uh, it's like, dang, it's like this, this mobile game that I don't think anyone ever played. I know I didn't. It's like, and now it gets in every, now it's everywhere. It's like every book talked about it. Um, I don't even think it's on anymore. I don't know. But, uh, no, it, it's kind of amazing that the Endor to Jakku one-year period is probably, like, the most uh, cohesive era so far in terms of, like, you know, there aren't that many contradictions, you know, it's, it's the more, like, you know, like, maybe the only thing I can think of is, like, Rack's gonna get mentioned a lot instead of outside of the Aftermath trilogy yeah. being Alfred too. but after, outside of that, like, you know, the end, Endor happens, and the Empire kind of scrambles, and then, you know, Operation Cinder takes effect, and then the Battle of Jakku, and then the imp- what's left of the Empire retreats into the unknown region. So, um, you know, it, it's very, it's a very busy year. Uh, I, I, I think they've done a good job. I don't know if there is a lot of story left to tell outside of maybe what the heck did Luke Skywalker do during that first whole year? Like, he didn't whisper, but like, we see him once in that Battlefront 2, but he's just looking for yeah. Jedi Artifact, and then it's sort of like, well, I don't know, like, there's a legend he meant to the Battle of Jakku, maybe. Um, yeah, but because it'd be interesting to see. We 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 know the timeline with Luke is he's going to be wandering like a nomad Jedi for five years because then we see him in Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett, which is five or six years after Return of the Jedi, and that's when he was literally putting the stones down for the first temple. The the whole thing there was like Grogu was going to be his first student at that point. So. Like, what the heck was he doing for five years? Like, that's what I'm very interested. We see in Shadow of the Sith, he's got all those um, artifacts at his temple. So, I mean, I guess he's just being a Jedi Indiana Jones at that point, going around with Lore Santeca. But he's got to start from scratch. I mean, the Jedi Order pretty much got purged. And sort of like, well, I'm the last of these Jedi, so I better just gather all the information I can and, you know, can reconsolidate because we lost a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're probably looking for as much stuff as possible at this point. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, all the kind of big political stories are done. I guess you can tell, like, individual soldier stories, like, maybe like a you know, more fighters or stormtroopers perspective on what happened. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm wondering, like, how much room is there left to tell stories in this one year? Your period. Oh, um, yeah. 
yeah, we're, we were talking online or offline, whatever, about the whole thing with, oh, where are the comics going to go? You know, so maybe maybe the comics, are they going to just say, oh, screw this. We're going to just take place after Battle of Jakku. <laughs> I mean, you know, they got, I mean, you know, I've been saying they probably don't, don't want to, you know, touch the Mandoverse too much, obviously, because that's still going. They're probably going for a couple more years. Um, but you got five years before Mandoverse officially starts, right? Yeah. Like, so it's like maybe they'll do like, I mean, unless they want to, like, they could fill in a little bit more stuff that, you know, uh, in between the Endor and Jakku era, there's always that five year gap between that little sub epoch of Star Wars history and when Mandoverse officially kicks off. So it's like, there can be like more cleanup to do, I'm sure. Certain imperial remnants are out there, you know, big empire. Mm -hmm. uh, probably be more fun and little mini adventures to tell. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, who knows what what the future holds? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but there's so much more in the future. Our next novels we have are going to be kicking off the higher public. We got the Path of Seat by Tessin Grand and Justine Ireland coming out on October second. And then in November we get our George Mann, which is the middle the middle school novel. Uh, quest for the Hidden City, and then we have what is the the, the, the something with the C that's written by um, Zorada Cordova. It's not contempt, something like that. But that that's coming out in November as well. Uh, we take December off. January we come back. We have uh, the George Mann audio drama, The Battle of Jeddah. Yeah, can't wait for that. We take off February, then February, uh, March, we have Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars with Cal Kestis. I think that's going to be a very rich tie-in story that takes place that bridges us between the five-year gap between Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor coming out probably also in March of the game. Um, so yeah, we got some more tie-ins for, for Jedi. I can't wait to see that happening. Uh, we had a good tie-in novel with the Battlefront 2 Inferno Squadron novel, which has given us the backstory of Iniversity and Inferno Squad with Gideon uh, and, and um, Del Miko and all those guys. So I have all faith that, you know, there's going to be a good story there. But other than that, um, we do not have any other, like, announcements of books that are not part of High Republic other than that Jedi book. So... I'm very, very curious to see like what Del Rey will have. I, I assume we're going to get a From Certain Point of View Return of the Jedi. It's going to be the 40th anniversary this upcoming 2023. So we'll be getting oh, yeah. that. Um, but yeah, let's see what else they can give us. Let's see what else they can give us. Hopefully it's to the caliber of threes, of these three books that we got this summer because, as you said, sometimes these tie-in books are, are the bread and the butter of what happens with Star Wars books, you know? Oh, totally. I, I, I'm excited for some of the the non-High Republic announcements. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm excited for the High Republic stuff, too, but, like, you know, it's kind of like, what what's the what's the non-High Republic stuff going to be like? What kind of, what are they allowed to touch? Yeah. Uh, now. That's yeah. the thing, right? We were talking about, like, okay, what can they touch? All right, so, um, Metaverse is still going on, and it's like, eh, can we do stuff there? Yeah, let's get some pre-Phantom Menace stuff. I think they're going to start tackling more oh, of that. that actually be with nice. Or post-Phantom Menace, pre-Attack of the Clones. That is the one area that Del Rey doesn't have a single book out in. And every time I open up that new book and I'm looking, I'm just like staring at that gap. Like, Del Rey, put something out there. We got a comic from Marvel. 
that had something in that in that time period with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Let's get Mike Chen to write a story there. All right. Let's get Mike Chen to write a story uh, that 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 builds up into that event where we see the flashback with Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting in the duel with the temple or something. I don't yeah, know. that'd be cool, actually. <laughs> oh, man. I guess it is a relative time of peace, and, well, unless it's like Star Wars Resistance where the first season was like Star Peace for a couple episodes, and it's not well, super the, enticing. The Confederacy's coming. The Separatists are coming. The Sep- Count Dooku going to form the Separatist crisis, so... Yeah, that is true. So that'd be cool, though. We could see more of that, but man, oh man, that's a that's a podcast for another day. We could spend um, um almost two hours that we did today, same amount, just talking about future Star Wars stories we would like to see, and uh, maybe maybe one day we'll get you back on here to talk about that. But oh man, oh man, yeah. I had to, I had to pull in the big guns tonight because you know I think it was a due time to celebrate the Del Rey's efforts in the adult novels of every one of them hitting at least an 8 to a 9.0 out of 10 for me. Um, great overall stories, but yeah, thanks for joining me, Joel. Um, very oh. much, very much so, and we'll, we'll get you back on here in the future. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll talk about some comics next time or, or something, because uh, yeah. we got this big old Kira trilogy that me and you are always yeah. chatting about online uh, that we're always so hyped about, and hopefully it ends in a nice, satisfying way. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely cool stuff there. But once again, can you remind everybody that maybe joined a little late where they can find you and what you do on the internet here for the Star Wars fandom community? Well, you can find me on my personal Twitter, JID2012. Uh, at, at, yeah, yeah, you know, it's the JID123. My bad. Uh, JID123, that's where you can find me on Twitter. Um, I always forget my actual. Oh, 2021, I'm sorry. I don't know why I would get my dates wrong with this one. Uh, at JID2021 for Twitter. Um, but you can mostly find us at the Ion Cannon Twitter, where I do most of my tweeting anyway, where I tweet mostly Star Wars-related things, as we talk about as for my Ion Cannon podcast, where we talk about canon, books, movies, anything in the Star Wars canon, how it all, you know, connects, surrounds, and binds the franchise together. Uh, <laughs> to gently quote a Obi-Wan. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you can find us there. We mostly do, uh, Mondays, um, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, and that is 8 p.m. Eastern. Yes, I I have to do math. Uh, I'm not good at math, no. uh, but 5 p.m. Pacific time for sure. So you do the calculations for East Coasters because I'm a Pacific Coaster. Um, and you know, uh, it's great. You know, we're part of the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network, so you probably might see us pop in on a few of their other shows. We're all big, one big happy Star Wars family. And the thing yeah. we talk. So, yeah. That is awesome. So, yeah, go follow him on Ion Cannon. Follow him on JID2021 on Twitter. And uh, Star Wars Underworld uh, Network. Uh, you know, I always shout out Star Wars Underworld. They they helped get me started here on the podcast. You know, they, they helped get, inspire me to make, make Star Wars content. So, I'll always be uh, forever for those uh, grateful for those guys over there, for Ben, Dominic, and Chris. But... Um, as far as for the channel this week, uh, you know, we're going to be sailing through this week. We're going to have that one Star Wars comic, so you can expect a review on the channel from there. And um, other than that, you can catch an entire recap of that Star Wars Insider mm. Republic, High Republic short story. I have an entire recap on the channel if you want a little bit more in-depth um, analysis of that. I have that on the channel already for your viewing pleasure. 
Um, but other than that, we should have Milton. We should have Ben back next week. And we'll be breaking down Disney Plus Day. We'll be talking about the brand new Obi-Wan um, series documentary that finally they changed the name from Gallery because that was just bizarre. But we're going to be talking about that and hopefully some video game news. Hopefully we'll have a trailer breakdown of some gameplay where I'll talk everybody's ears off all night about that Star Wars Jedi Survivor gameplay. I'm, I'm willing it into existence, okay? Uh, so yeah, D23 starts next week. So be making sure you tune into your social platforms because maybe we'll get some cool trailers that you know have been leaked for months as well that they'll finally officially release in all their HD glory. Um, so there's a, yeah. a lot, a lot to look forward to next week for sure. There's no, there's going to be a, no shortage of news um, after this week. Really, I think from now on until Andor, we're going to be just inundated with uh, new topics to discuss every week. It was a little light this week, but they gave us more time to celebrate the paper cannon, the Star Wars cannon everywhere that's not on the screen. So for Joel, for myself. Chris, a.k.a. Star Raptor. This was Outer Rim Transmission number 73. Thank you, everybody, for watching. May the Force be with you and transmission.